the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. And we have another great show for you today. And we will get to some great guests in a few moments. We'll talk with John Schlafly. He's got a column about the uh, passport, the vaccine passports, as well as uh, elections. And Teresa Barbale of the uh, Collier Community abstinence program very sharp woman will join us from florida talk about among other things the uh the craziness of the critical race theory what it's doing to schools so we got all that and a lot more we will cover it all and so welcome 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 glad you're here uh don't forget visit proamericareport.com proamericareport.com and you can go ahead and uh, sign up there for the daily email all right uh, what you now know, when I finish this diatribe, when I finish this uh, explanation, you can say what I now know, what you now know is the truth about what's going on. Here is the truth. Now, remember, hold, try to hold these two thoughts in your head, two thoughts. One is you have to run a good election. You have to have a good election system and people have to have confidence that their vote counts. So which is it in the modern moment that seems to you to be more likely? Does it seem like people are running a corrupt election system and the people who don't have confidence in the system, in this case, are African-Americans? Does that seem likely to you? Does it seem likely to you that so-called Jim Crow laws, like Joe Biden called them, are actually happening today, where you can't vote because you're black, or you can't vote because there's no polling places in low-income neighborhoods? Does that feel like that system exists today? The answer is, of course, no. And the reason it's no is because we've had lots of laws and lawsuits that have protected against that. Now, ask yourself if you're, if you're, if the system for voting seems to be skewed in such a way that voters who have confidence believe that their vote is being offset by voter fraud. Does that seem likely to you? It certainly seems more likely to me. When you have people arguing vociferously for a system that does not check signatures, no signature verification, does not require photo ID, does not require registration that actually you know, holds up to scrutiny, that system, the people who would start to have a lack of confidence in that system would be the people who think there's voter fraud, right? So if you were to address the question, and I'm trying to see if I can say this well, to explain this well enough, of, of how to pass some laws or new rules that would give the people around you that have these concerns some comfort, what would you do? Well, you would do something like say, hey, we're going to have lots of access to voting, but we're also going to have signature verification. We're going to have lots of places and even early voting, but we're going to have a photo ID requirement. And if you did that, does that sound like Jim Crow laws? Does it sound like, I mean, Jim Crow laws were things like you don't put any polling places in any uh, black neighborhoods, or you actually make people pay to get to an area, whether they need a bus fare or something else to be able to vote. None of that's happening. 
There's no poll taxes. There's no poll burdens. It's the opposite. And the fact that too many Republicans are afraid to say something because they're going to be mocked and made, uh, made to feel like they are, uh, they are out of the mainstream and that they're somehow inappropriate, that's the problem. So what we have now is the narrative machine has really ramped up. And, and, and earlier today, I, I guess it was Thursday, could have been Thursday, could have been Wednesday, I'm not sure which day it was, Ron Brownstein wrote in The Atlantic. Now, Ron Brownstein's been around, I think he wrote for Newsweek for a long time, but he writes, he's, he's always on MSNBC, and he's got a piece in The Atlantic, and it's a lengthy piece. And it goes into all these incredible details about how this is the big fight. If Democrats ever want to stop the GOP assault on voter rights, what's the assault on voter rights? Is a photo ID an assault on voter rights? Is that possible? Is that possible that that is what it it, is an assault on voters rights? I don't understand if that how that can possibly be perceived as Uh, An assault on voter rights. Is it an assault on voter rights to have signature verification? Who is affronted by signature verification? Can someone explain to me? Who is affronted by a requirement that if you're going to register to vote in a place, you don't register on the same day that you show up because, um, lo and behold, that would likely lead to people showing up and voting in a close election that don't live there. It's at least possible, right? So what is it? What is it about this that is um, impossible for people to, to sit back and say, hey, wait a second, this is not nothing to do with uh, uh, Jim Crow or oppression of voters. It has to do with increasing the election confidence and increasing the election uh, 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 voters' confidence, the procedures, in such a way that would give people confidence in the election. It's the opposite of Jim Crow laws. It's the opposite of disenfranchising voters. It's actually the opposite. And again, where are the Republicans? I hope they're going to be strong and stand up and keep fighting and not back down. I'm worried about it. I'm worried about it because I think that a lot of times the Republicans say, oh, it's not worth the trouble. And back to back to the narrative machine. Watch what the narrative machine is ramped up doing. The ramp the ramping up of the narrative machine has Joe Biden going on ESPN doing an interview with ESPN a couple nights ago as Major League Baseball is opening its season. Cardinals opening season open on Thursday afternoon at four o'clock against the Cincinnati Reds. That's my team. And so they're opening the season. And instead, we got Joe Biden calling Georgia's laws Jim Crow laws with no basis. In fact, even the Washington Post said he was a, a four. Uh, what was it? A four Pinocchio nose liar. But he says it, and it's covered, and there you have it. So the narrative machine has the Delta CEO, the Coca-Cola CEO, the Major League Baseball uh, union executive, and, and others claiming this is the end of the world, and no one in the mainstream, in the big big media or big tech, is doing anything to say, um, this is a little bit off base here. This isn't quite what they're saying. And the reason why, please understand, is the plan is not, it's not, just about Georgia. It's about driving the narrative to demand that the federal government, Pelosi, stop this incredible movement against voters by passing H.R. 1, which would be a disaster. A disaster. That's what we're seeing. That's what we're seeing right now. We're watching the sort of slow and, and, uh, and tedious 
uh, and plotting. That's so tedious. It's not tedious. It's plotting. Plotting effort to take over the American system, the American election system from we the people because, and here's the trick, if the Democrats get control, the left gets control of the elections like they just had, like they got away with in 2020, it's game over for a long time. It's game over. And they know that. They know what's at stake. This is their chance to stay on the march and on the move and, and, and consolidate their, 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 uh, their, consolidate their um, successes, consolidate their ability to uh, get control of things. That's what's at stake. That's where we're headed. That's what I'm seeing. That's what you should be worried about. That's what you should be worried about. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, we will talk with John Schlafly. We'll check in with John Schlafly. He's got a weekly column. And also Teresa Barbale, who's down in Florida and has a great perspective, especially on critical race theory. I've got a one-pager on that. I've got to get that together. The guys at the office did and get that out. So we will be right back. It's Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Be back in a minute. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And our next guest is a friend of mine through a great friend of mine. There's a, we've had conversations before. Uh, Kathleen Sullivan is one of the great leaders of the conservative movement in the United States. She was one of the founders of RNC for Life, which is the pro-life group that is actually within the Republican Party. It's the one, one of a kind. It's fought for the pro-life plank. She started in the 80s. They really invented the abstinence education movement. Um, really, there's a long story there, too. But for about a decade now, she's been down in Florida where she was supposed to go to retire. And instead, she ended up organizing, organizing, organizing. And she started the, uh, it's called CCAP, Collier County Abstinence Program, and uh, a million other uh, offshoots in terms of helping be, people be empowered. And the new-ish di- executive director of CCAP, uh, new-ish because it's not been, it's not yesterday, but it's recent enough, is Teresa Barbell, who is uh, a uh, young mother and uh, working in the conservative movement. And she's with us now. Teresa, welcome to the program. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So what's it like in Florida right now? A lot of our listeners are in California and then listen across the country. How what is Cal, what is Florida like right now in terms of uh, both uh, getting through the pandemic and then also education and what's happening? I mean, it's still you still got liberals, even though there seems to be a conservative governor. So give us a, 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 a thumbnail of Florida right now. So Florida on the Gulf side, so we're on kind of the Gulf side of Florida, is decidedly conservative. And we've seen some liberal agenda items come up, but for the most part, we've stayed decidedly conservative. There has no governor-issued mask mandate, so he has also said we won't have a vaccine passport. And for the most part, life has gone on as it was normally. There's been very little disruption to things, and our businesses are booming, and Mm -hmm. our schools have been back in session. So let's talk a little bit about schools. CCAP, Collier County Abstinence Program, is not, a lot of times the abstinence programs or some of the different programs will be, people will get a sense, oh, that's for the private schools or homeschooling. That's not CCAP. CCAP is right in teaching uh, wherever people are, you know, public or private or homeschool. So tell us what's happening. Tell us how the program is going and what you're seeing right now. So for us, what we saw early on is we got a immediate 
we are not going to be able to use you in a lot of areas. So we have Authentic Abstinence Program, which is our parent organization, and CCAP is in Collier, and the Authentic Abstinence Program is in a lot of different locations. But those locations would essentially not be able to offer our program, especially our new pilot in Arlington, Virginia, and Grand Rapids, Michigan, because they have no in-classroom school in those areas. So they told us that we needed to have virtual school and video supplements. So we actually did a 32-video series to teach abstinence online, streaming through AuthenticAbstinence.org to fulfill the need to fight Planned Parenthood because those are the materials they would have gotten in place of ours. And we did all that in three and a half months. So we had a very busy time getting that website and streaming services up and running and available to meet the needs for the school because we knew the kids were in need, we knew the parents were in need, and we wanted to do it in a healthy way. And we've also seen just a deterioration in the mental, emotional health of our kids. We have seen a Mm -hmm. rise in Collier alone. We've had almost 3,000 suicide attempts in 2000, and 2021 is going to be worse. So... Mm -hmm. Having the right health education for the mental, emotional stability of our youth was crucial, and we wanted to make sure it was done right, so that's why we did it ourselves. We're at right now, <laughs> we're, we're talking with right, that. You do yourself. Yeah, well, and I was going to say something else. Someone said to me recently about a business. They said, um, you, you start out selling what you think you're going to sell, and then your customers tell you what they what you're actually going to sell. In other words, you know, you, as you said, in three months, you basically adjusted and said, if this is what our people need, we're going to adjust and sell to them. So, by the way, we're talking about Collier Community Abstinence Program. I misspoke Collier County. I often do that. And if you go to projectccap.org, projectccap.org, you can learn a lot more about what they're doing. And it's not, it's not only applicable to Florida. There's lots of resources that have wherever you are. And we're talking right now to Teresa Barbale, who's the executive director. Um, when you said people told you they didn't want you, I, I, one of the strengths of this program that I remember Kathleen Sullivan talking about was it's not um, it's not only or maybe overtly religious. It's really about health. And you're saying, hey, let's keep each other healthy. This is a common, I mean, keep our kids healthy. This is a common uh, ground, no matter what your sort of politics are. Is that in the, in the world of um, CNN and Fox News, news, you know, sort of uh, half the, a third of the country is Fox News, a third of the country is CNN, the other third is sick of it all. Are you finding that it's hard to get the common ground or how is that part working out? So yes and no. So we make the joke that we've been teaching social distancing forever. <laughs> and uh, sometimes the, the liberal left thinks that's great. And they say, oh, that's wonderful. So that has been kind of a help because they say, oh, you're teaching kids how to have relationships that are healthy and keeping the physical distance to prevent COVID and that sort of thing. But then you also get the radical left who are saying, no, they should be looking at porn and expressing themselves sexually in other ways. And so we also have a um, pornography stance in our books where we talk about media and not using porn. So we see that come out and we see people saying, you know, you shouldn't be confusing kids and that sort of stuff. And that was when we developed these videos. We saw we were providing the videos. And like you said, when you provide something to a customer, you provide them what they needed. And they said, we want more. What can you give us more? And I'm sitting there, I'm like, she goes, we want the presenters. And I said, well, I can't have them in all your classrooms. You know, it'd be hundreds of places. They can't bilocate and we aren't Star Trek. I said, I don't know. Right, and, right. <laughs> but they said, these kids need help. And with that, I said, you know, can you tell me a little bit about what's going on? And I said, you know, I sat down with a team of people and we'd had a strong team who developed the video series. And so we went back and looked at the picture of what we could do. And 
I have a lifetime friend, Robert Matthew, who's also certified youth counseling. And I said, you know, look at we've we've done a lot of youth counseling and mentoring over the years. What could be done to aid in the current problem? And we didn't have a full picture of what that problem was. But they said the kids found hope in the videos because it gives them ideas of their future. That's the whole message. The whole message is a healthy, happy lifestyle, the healthiest lifestyle, and a happy youth growing up. And every kid found hope, but that hope was quickly stifled in the current situation. They have a fear of making their relatives sick, a fear. The kids have been inundated with fear, just like most of our population. And we found that there was a confusion of language because now they're saying, you know, we're using gender as identity instead of language now. And people say, you know, gender, are you a girl or your boy? What are you thinking about? And this has been influencing our education system. So I brought to CCAP and I said, you know, that authentic abstinence group, I said, look, we can create a new mentoring system, a one-on-one mentoring system where we actually take our alumni from CCAP. We have hundreds of thousands of alumni who have been transformed by this program that Kathleen and Phyllis Lafley started. And we can take them and use them to one-on-one be that person in the video to these kids. So we've been developing this application and it kind of turned into a battle against CRT in the critical race theory because critical race theory is not taught in theory by a class classroom. It's taught by an individual enforcing that on their kids. So right, in right. the schools here, I mean, there, I, I've had a, I will not, I cannot tell you, I had a parent who their kid is in geometry class and they said the whole geometry class was taught about homosexual relationships. And the kids fail in math. And she said, all I hear about is him and his husband and their kids. And if you don't have a homosexual relationship and you're not open to it, you're a bigot. You're, you're racist. Mm. They call her kid racist. In it's, um, we're talking again with Teresa, Teresa Barbale. I, we got about a minute and a half left, so I want to ask you this open-ended question. People are listening right now, and they're saying, okay, this uh, Collier, Collier Community Absence Program sounds interesting. This is what, what I'm hearing the Executive Director, Teresa Barbale, say about how to fight back. It's interesting. What do people do if they want to find out more? If they want, are, you, are you guys looking to test it places? Are you sending families, hey, here's a way for you to you do this in your community? What's your, what's your set? What, what can you tell people to do? So if they want the videos, we have the video series. They can go onto our website and they can see the videos for themselves. They can get the books. They can request the books. They can do the series themselves and they can be put on a mailing list so they find out when our mentoring system is available and they can implement that mentoring system in their own area. Got it. Okay. So And the website is the place to go, uh, projectccap.org. Is that right? Yes, or AuthenticAbstinence.org. We have two. Okay, okay, good. AuthenticAbstinence.org. All right, Teresa Barbea, we'll have you back on again. I think especially the critical race theory idea that how it's not something you fight like. It's not like a... um, there's an enemy over there and you're just going to go convince that enemy. It's like it's infiltrated the whole of our schools and we have to figure out how to be more, uh, I don't know, strategic about it. So thanks very much, Teresa. Have a great uh, Easter holiday. Thank you. I appreciate it. Have a wonderful Easter. God bless. All right. God bless you. We'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We're talking to John Schlafly today. John Schlafly is 
the, of course, one half of the Schlafly Report, published weekly, a weekly column over at townhall.com and also archived over at phyllisschlafly.com. Uh, John is himself an attorney and a longtime conservative leader. Uh, John, uh, we uh, your column this week is on this dreaded vaccine passport. And before we get to that, I have to answer a question later on tonight on TV. And so I'm just going to get this out of the way in front of the whole world. But, um, but John, uh, is it the early 1980s that the American Supreme Court uh, declared, ruled that the American schools must accept illegal aliens? You cannot, undocumented children cannot be turned away from our schools. I ask this because in San Diego, where our show originates, we've got um, illegal alien students, you know, the I mean, kids, the unaccompanied minors arriving and they're getting uh, in-person education and our California students aren't, you know, get, getting in-person education. But but that's the problem, right? There is law on the books, uh, U.S. Supreme Court holding, that you have to, you can't turn away uh, kids just because they're not citizens. Is that right? Well, uh, that's right, Ed. Uh, the, the case, uh, I'm scratching my memory here, I believe it is Plyler versus Doe. Uh, it was a a uh, five to four decision from 1982. Early 80s. Yeah, 82. 82. Is that right? Okay, good. Good. And, uh, yep. you know, uh, right. So, right. Um, so, but, of course, what we've heard in California is that, which is what usually happens, is that the the illegal aliens or the aliens or the non-citizens or the foreigners are getting priority over Americans. And that is exactly what, you know, Donald Trump complained about when he first started running for president. And he tried to redress that uh, throughout his presidency. And here we are back to the same old America last policy of everyone other than Trump. So it's a good example of that. Yeah, uh, and of course, it's so much. Well, more we're talking about John Schlafly and educate. You know, to attempt to educate uh, people who do not speak English. In fact, many of them don't even speak Spanish. Uh, you know, they're uh, and they and many of them have never had any schooling. You know, there could be these, you know, teenagers who have been on the street for years and who've never been in school. And imagine kids like that putting being plopped into the cast, classroom next to American children. It's just un, totally unworkable. Right. Yeah, it is. All right. So, and then on to the column, John. Your column was taking the point of view that, uh, okay, you want to have a vaccine passport or just talk about it from the Biden White House, uh, but you can't even have photo ID or you can't even have a, someone called it an election passport. And I mean, it is, it is, um, it is breathtakingly hypocritical. It's a little bit like my wife will often say, you know, how can someone be charged with double murder when they kill a woman with a baby in her belly? You know, a pregnant woman, you'll get a double murder charge. And yet that's not a baby for the purposes of abortion. And there's these all these moments. I guess the point here is, though, there's no shame on the left or the, the that does this. They don't care that it doesn't make sense. They're happy to plow ahead. I mean, you know, they're fighting the Georgia, uh, what I would call relatively, you know, sane common sense reform vote, voting law uh, that passed a few days ago, signed by the governor. They're fighting it like it's the end of the world. And yet they want to, uh, they want a vaccine card for everyone. I mean, but that being hypocritical doesn't it's not a, it's not a distinguishing characteristic, is it? 
Well, that's right. And, uh, you know, you know, the whole business about the vaccine passport was kept under wraps until after Biden's press conference. So he was not asked about it. But subsequently, you know, unnamed officials in the government were asked about it and they've given vague answers. Uh, the, the, of course, the, what what they're saying is the government is not going to require it, but uh, the, the government will create the standards and then they'll leave it to the private sector to both finalize the technology and then that'll be available for everyone to copy and implement and force on us because of course you know well and 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 and, and, and why, why, why isn't the easy yeah, yeah. but, but isn't the easiest one john if you want to go to a ba- if, if you want to go to a basketball game, uh, NCAA tournament game, the NCAA can say it's a private event. You have to have a vaccine card. You want to get in a plane. There's no right to fly. Right. So they can. Uh, why? What's going to stop them from implementing it? Well, what stops it now is the incompatible standards by all of, you know, the records for vaccination or no vaccination are kept in hundreds of places or thousands of places. And there's no common format by which, you know, the person who wants to regulate admission to an event of some kind would be able to verify your vaccination status. So in order for that to be technically possible, somebody has got to design and enforce common standards for everyone to use. Um, you know, and then it would be possible for people who've been vaccinated to get an electronic card uh, which you can then be swiped wherever you want to go. And we're not there yet. But uh, it's cl- it seems to be clear that the Biden administration is going to support that and promote it. And then they'll wash their hands of it and say, oh, we're not the ones who are making it mandatory. That's, you know, Delta Airlines or something. Uh, we're talking with John Schlafly. John, when that when this kind of thing happens, um, I'm thinking of like real ID, right? After 9-11, there was a general move towards standardizing identification for the purposes of security. And over time, I, I think I was working for the governor of Missouri, and we, we tried to push back on some of the requirements. But basically, over time, the power of the federal government, the the number of books they have into the states and local communities make it almost impossible to resist. I, again, I don't see why there's anything that's going to stop. And let's go back. We had a, a segment recently. We're interviewing a young woman from Florida where she said they've done such a good job of scaring the heck out of people, old people, you know, uh, people with uh, comorbidities. There's enough people that are scared. It doesn't matter what the truth is. They're just scared that they're going to be saying, I don't want to go to an event if I don't have some assurance. And so why don't we, you, you, you make it sound like it's it's not um it's it's sooner you can stop it I, I don't see how you stop it i don't see anything that will stop that from happening well uh, you know there's a lot of concern and one of this is if there's a technology to um for and everyone gets accustomed to swiping an internal passport for admission to uh to places and events that used to be open to the public you know, unfortunately, people will get used to that, and it won't stop with the COVID vaccine. You know, people, it'll be, what it amounts to is social credit, like they have in China, where everybody in China, mm-hmm. you know, everything they've ever done, good or bad in their life, is stored on a computer somewhere, and the people are 
you know, noted to be anti-government or something, they're not allowed to get on a train to travel to the capital. You know, so we have, we could theoretically have, you know, we've already had instances where uh, Bank of America checked uh, who charged a hotel on January 6th of this year in the Washington, D.C. area and reported that to the FBI. Now, that's a little scary. More than a little scary. Uh, Yeah. um, John, two two questions real quick. Real quick, John, two questions. I posted your column and and I got a reply from someone on Twitter. They said, why aren't the Republicans pushing back on this? Now, before I give you that question, I will say Governor DeSantis in Florida did an executive order saying we won't have these vaccine passports here. But, you know, do the Republicans see the problem? And before I get to that, and why aren't they fighting? I I, got to say, John, um, at this point, we watch the FBI and the other agencies. They basically um, track everything we do anyway. Do you really think they don't already know everything about us? I mean, is there any is there any chance that they've stayed within the boundaries of what is supposed to be the American way at this point? I mean, Brennan's lied to the Senate as Rand Paul rails. We've now seen the FISA court was misled. I mean, you know, see the FBI and uh, unmasking in the Obama White House and the FBI misusing power. I don't know what the I don't know why there wouldn't be any uh, any limits to this. Anyway, so that's a b- bunch of questions, but go ahead. Well, I really think, Ed, that the, the technology has moved far beyond the, what the FBI does, and maybe the real question is whether uh, if your credit card company, your bank, your cell phone, uh, your shopping habits at Amazon, and, and your social media uh, record of postings and sharing and liking pages whether all of that information, which is being collected by private companies, whether that is being shared routinely with the FBI. I mean, I'd like to know that. I don't think we know the right. answer to that question. And, uh, you know, I think the, you know, the, unfortunately, the technology is there for that is ripe for abuse uh, by people. And there are millions of people who believe that Trump supporters are insurrectionists. And that anybody who believed right. that there was uh, shenanigans or illegality in the 2020 election is, you know, disinformation. And for that reason, people who believe in disinformation need to be excluded from the common discussion, you know, the, the course of conversation. Right. And, you know. So there's people right. who do believe that, and some of those people have are in positions yeah. of power that they, they they could exercise their disapproval against many of your listeners, and I don't think that many of your listeners would like that. But that's where we are now, and we've got to push back on it. I was glad yeah. for Governor Santos to say what he said, but unfortunately, I don't think he has the power to carry out what he said. Because this right. is happening, whether Santos likes it or not. Yeah, I agree with you on that, John. I think uh, I think it was a good gesture, and it was a smart gesture, and it gave caps, it, cap, it, 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 it captured the attention of a lot of us. But I don't know that I had the power. All right, John Schlafly, as always, thank you. You can follow John Schlafly and John and Andy Schlafly's column, the Schlafly Report, available over at townhall.com, uh, live every Tuesday night, and then also archived, archived at phyllisschlafly.com. This week's column is about vaccine passports, about how uh, illegal uh, uh, immigrants are getting better service than. Uh, then uh, we the people, and uh, also we touched on a 
And this is something that uh, John has uh, written and spoken on before about the the uh, question of what's happening with uh, illegal aliens in our schools and voting, voting, voting in Georgia. So we'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily look at the significant issues of our time from an experienced conservative perspective. Sponsored by Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, this broadcast continues the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly and stands against forces that mock traditional values, slander America, and redefine the family. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Conservatives were disappointed to see the United States Supreme Court unwilling to take on an important case about election integrity. Republican Party of Pennsylvania versus DeGraffenreid was a case filed to expose state officials for their careless disregard for the voice of Pennsylvanians in the 2020 presidential election. Mail-in ballots were at the heart of this problem. Many ballots were accepted with a postmark past Election Day or with no postmark at all. Obviously, this is a matter worthy of the high court's attention. Instead, the court chose not to take up the case. The faithful Justice Clarence Thomas issued a scathing dissent that gave a voice to the millions of Americans with serious questions about the integrity of America's electoral system. He pointed out that confidence in the integrity of our electoral process is essential to the functioning of our participatory democracy. To put it another way, Thomas is saying that our laws, our constitution, and our very system of government are jeopardized as long as the Supreme Court is unwilling to address the matter of politicians changing election rules as they go along. The number of ballots changed in this particular election is not the issue. The Supreme Court needs to make sure states like Pennsylvania get the message that vote tampering shenanigans will not be tolerated, no matter how many ballots are at stake. If your ballot is lawfully cast, it deserves to be counted. If your ballot is not lawfully cast, it should not be counted. Only the Supreme Court holds the power to make this message very clear to every state in our union. Yet they defaulted on this sacred and solemn responsibility. Justice Clarence Thomas was right to call them out for their dereliction of duty. To the many Americans who are concerned about the state of our electoral process, your pleas are not falling on deaf ears. We still have champions like Justice Thomas who will take up our case for us. However, we should not wait for some champion to save us. Each one of us has a responsibility in our own state and community. Do you know if elections are protected where you live? From Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, this has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin. Election fraud has the power to destroy the America we know and love. Never again can we allow an election to be stolen. At phyllisschlafly.com, you'll find reasonable, workable strategies for assuring the integrity of every future election. Visit phyllisschlafly.com today. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Let us uh, talk a little bit about student debt. We talked about it last week, but the news popped up this week because the, the public sector's unions who supported overwhelmingly Joe Biden for president have demanded that he uh, forgive the student loans. He do somehow, somehow he can magically forgive the student loans of public sector unions, uh, families or members or whoever, um, which is, you know, again, here we go with the dividing people. You're going to divide them on every single category you can figure out. Now you're going to have public sector unions get their debt forgiven and regular people don't get theirs forgiven. I mean, this is insanity. But as I as we talked about um, last week, and I heard this from a friend of mine on a, on a TV show and I followed up with him. Um, what about this? 
What about we forgive the debt, the debt of people uh, who have student debt in this way? The actual debt the student takes, the principal, the student is responsible for. So if you take $10,000 in student debt, you're responsible for that $10,000. But the university from which you took the student debt, to go, from, the, the, from which you um, attended, which you uh, graduated, I hope, but the, the university that you attended, who got paid with the student debt, they owe the interest. Because most people say that it's the interest that is so hard to catch up on. You know, if you owe $10,000, you can pay $10,000 over five years, two grand a year or something like that. If you owe 50000 you can pay over five years, 10 grand a year maybe. But if you owe 50000 or 10000 over five years and it keeps turning into 12000 and 13000 and 14000 15000 it's, it's impossible to catch up. So the idea here is, okay, if you want to help some people, just make it so the schools that have a billion dollars or five or ten billion dollars in endowment, have, they can pay the interest. And, as my friend Terry Giles, who brought this up, said, you could then ask the schools, they would be much more interested in making it possible for students to get good jobs, because they would be interested in trying to make sure that they get their students to get good jobs so that the good jobs could be, uh, could be put in, a, they could be uh, available to those students so they'd be paying back the loans at a faster rate. I don't know. There, there should be some way. I, I'm, I'm sympathetic to the fact that students are trapped in loans of debt uh, because of the university system. But I'm not sympathetic to the notion of forgiving the loans in such a way that if you were smart enough to save, you get penalized and everybody else gets bailed out. I mean, that, that, that is really a disaster. It's not like, um, unfortunately, it's not like you can say student loans and, you know, if you lose your home, let's say you t- make a bad loan. Uh, excuse me, you sign up for a bad loan to buy a house and you own a, a loan for your house well if you lose the house you've lost the thing that you got and and you, you can't take away from students their education so you put them yourself in a position where someone is going to benefit more than anyone else and that gets to be really tough in a democratic republic to, to ask for too much of that i mean the left doesn't mind doing that but we should care we should care because it really starts to divide people along lines that that can be very unsettling for people and not helpful so I think that's a good idea. Let's do that. Let's have the universities pay the debt, excuse me, pay the, the um, interest on the debt as a way to even that out. I think that would get them motivated really quickly. It would get them to think uh, a little differently really quickly. It might change the dynamic a lot. So there you have it. All right. Hey, tomorrow we're going to have a program. I'm going to do a little bit less uh, talking tomorrow about some of these issues. I, I think we're going to have, uh, I think we do have one guest uh, is, uh, uh, no, we have two guests. Father Frank Pavone will be with us to talk pro-life stuff, which seems fitting. And also then we're going to, re- I'm going to reuse a recording from a few weeks ago with Dr. Ken Stevenson. Kenneth Stevenson is a um, uh, Vietnam veteran, decorated by a fighter pilot, uh, African-American graduate of the Air Force Academy, got all these trailblazers things. He also became an evangelical pastor and still does that to today. And he's an advocate for the Shroud of Turin. And he has written, I think, five books on the subject. So he's a scientist or at least a uh, scientifical guy who uh, believes that the Shroud of Turin shows something really special. And he talked about that in this interview. It seems like a good one to use on the Friday before Easter. So we'll have a little bit lower key program, a little bit less uh, amped up on politics as much as I can. I still get excited to talk about it. Uh, and we will do all that tomorrow. Tomorrow. And don't forget, please visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. You can go there and check that, track down all these interviews, even that one uh, from Dr. Stevenson, which we'll play tomorrow. I think it ran on uh, St. Patrick's Day, if I uh, remember correctly. So you can go back there and check it out. 
and all that's available. Plus, you can sign up for the daily email, The Wink, which goes out at 8 a.m. East Coast time every Monday through Friday. Worth checking out and having in your inbox. We give you a couple of key links, a couple of key quotes, and especially a um, link to the segment here on the program of what you need to know. So you want to check all that out. All right, let me finish up and say thank you to Noah, our great technical director. People, I hope, realize how much he does. Uh, he keeps the show going. And a lot of times we've got parts coming and going and here and there. He does a superb job. He's a very a great colleague and a lot of fun to work with. So thank you to Noah, our technical director. Thank you to Joanna for booking so many guests, and thank you for listening. We will be back tomorrow. And don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com to follow all of this. I'm Ed Martin. It's the Pro America Report. Be back tomorrow. This is the Pro America Report on The Answer San Diego.